Hi folks, this is Jack Spearco with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things we can all do to live a better life if times get tough or even if they don't. Today is November the 6th, 2015. It is Friday, but it's not a listener council show or a call-in show. Today I'm going to talk about critical thinking because my critical thinking led me to realize I did not have the bandwidth mentally to do a show uh, that requires the level of effort that a call-in show or a expert counsel show does this week with the event coming up next week. And I will be off all next week. There will be no survival podcast next week. There will be lots of little videos like I did last time, though. Oh, we probably won't have full-scale videos of the event. We had multi-hour videos of the, the last event, presentations by John Pugliano uh, and myself and Nick Ferguson. This time it'll probably just be little snippets here and there, but I'll try to get stuff going up every day on YouTube next week, and there might be a Gorilla Podcast. I'm not committing to that, but it might happen. Uh, this is this is a big undertaking. We've had a lot of rain. There's a lot of mud. There's a lot of stuff for me to do to make sure that everybody's coming to this is taken care of. Quick shout-out to those of you that join the Lifetime Membership uh, Program. I haven't gotten everybody set up yet. I've probably gotten 10% of you guys set up. Uh, we've had some site problems and things like that. I'm just behind. I'll get it done. Don't worry. If you have an existing account, just use that until I get your account converted. If you don't have an existing account and you need, need, need to get in there now because you want to buy something now with a discount... Email me TSPC emergency and I will take care of you individually if that's really the case. But your existing account is going to stay your account if you're just getting, and most of the people that joined I think have existing accounts. If you get charged in any way, do it a recurrent charge during this lag of the next day, I will refund your money. You can trust me, I'm not in this to, to, to cheat you out of 30 bucks or whatever. Anyway, with that, uh, before we get into the main topic of today's show, let's go ahead and take care of our sponsors. They do a lot to help take care of you by helping to make sure the show is here for you Monday through Friday, five days a week. Sponsor of the day number one today is a ready-made resources, the company that does what it says and says what it does right on their website. All the resources you need ready-made, ready to go at readymaderesources.com. And when I say all the resources, I mean it from the tactical to the practical, from guns to gardens, and everything in between, you'll find it at ready-made resources. 12-volt appliances to go with your solar and wind projects? Check, they've got that. You want to do solar and wind? Hey, they've got everything you need for that. You want long-term storage food? You want it by the can or by the case? They've got it. You want to make your own long-term storage food? You need uh, Mylar bags and O2 absorbers? They've got that. You want gamma lids for your 5-gallon buckets? Got it, check, no problem. You want to start canning, whether it's water bath or pressure canning, they've got what you need. Dehydrators, got that too. Want to get over and look at some tactical accessories or firearms if you're in their state or have an FFL to ship to? They've got it all, man. Like I said, the practical to the tactical, the guns to gardens, and everything in between. You'll find it all at the company that does what they say and says what they do. ReadyMadeResources.com, a long-term sponsor of the Survival Podcast, Happy to serve you with great pricing and great service. Again, ReadyMadeResources.com. Next up today, sponsor of the day number two, Sawtooth Tactical. You'll find them over at SawTac.com. You'll get all the stuff you need to live that tactical lifestyle if you get on over to SawTac. Veteran-owned, veteran-operated, and nestled in the wilderness of the Sawtooth Mountains, that's why they call them SawTac. And when I say everything, I mean everything from the awesome manly titanium spork, Maxpedition bags, Magpul magazines, SOE tactical gear, and everything else you can think of. If it's tactical, they have it at Sawtooth Tactical. Remember the website again, www.sawtac.com. And they also do do a discount for members of the support brigade. So if you're a member and you're going to get some tactical material from SawTac, Get into your MSB account, click on Benefits, and look up SawTac and get that discount. Again, a veteran-owned, veteran-operated company nestled in the sawtooth wilderness of Idaho, SawTac.com. Next up, let's have a look at the year that was the episode. The year 1674, because the episode is 1674. I have the Code of Louis, often humane but often severe. I have the reality of war and the dream of Germantown, Pennsylvania. I have Chicago, Land of the Skunk, and the British rock band Jethro Tull. I'm going to read for you guys Code of Louis, often humane, but often severe. 
King Louis XIV of France has decreed that any prostitute found with one of his soldiers within five miles of the palace shall have her ears and nose cut off. The king believes that severity is best for keeping peace. The logic goes that when the king is laying down the law, the local tyrants do not feel the need to exert so much local control, so the people will suffer less in the long run. The king uses detention without trial, secret warrants, and brutal, arbitrary punishments of uncertain length to keep the peace. The Code of Louis is bringing order to France, and even nobility are toning the line. The king requires them to live in the palace under his supervision. It's a really big palace. The nobles still hold flashy positions in government, but the administrative duties go to those with real ability. New ranks in the army are created, major and lieutenant colonel. These ranks cannot be bought. They can only be earned by merit. The king is dragging France, kicking and screaming into the modern age, and he's breaking heads to make it happen. My take by Alex Shrugged. Uh, my sense is that historians admire King Louis while admitting that what he did was unfortunate but necessary. We are looking at the beginnings of the modern era. King Louis was not part of the Enlightenment, but the Enlightenment would have had difficulty coming into being without him. What is the Enlightenment? You are living it. It is a whole new way of thinking, and each of us has been raised from birth to bask in its glow. To explain it now is like trying to explain to a fish that he is wet. It seems so natural that you may wonder why it needs explanation at all. It is simply natural thinking, natural law. Obvious, or is it? Our brutal ancestors seemed obviously wrong, but they thought they were obviously right. What were they thinking? And what are we thinking today? Our sense of right and wrong follows naturally from certain assumptions we have made on how the world works. That is what is changing with the Age of Enlightenment. A change of those first assumptions and the American Revolution will be the result. Okay, I'm not going to give you a take today. Because almost my whole show, once we're done with the intro, is my take on Enlightenment. And what goes along with that, to be enlightened, one must think critically. So I'll just leave that. Before I get into the main topic, do consider joining the Members Support Brigade. If you do that, you get discounts on a lot of really cool, great stuff uh, you can uh, you can buy for your homesteading, prepping, individual liberty needs, stuff you're probably buying anyway. You get over $150 worth of free ebooks on day one, and if you want to try it out and you're not sure it's up for you, you can do it for five bucks a month. Five bucks a month, and if you don't like it, cancel. If you do like it, cancel and join for a year and save the money. Uh, with the discount that you get. Military, law enforcement, Peace Corps, active duty and prior service, and first responders all qualify for a discount. Email me with TSPC discount in the subject line. Tell me about your service in one or two sentences, and I will get back to you with the discount code. You must do that before, not after you join. All right, with that, let's get into the uh, main topic today, which is critical thinking. Um, there's a couple things that have happened in the past day, or three, that have made me desire to have another discussion with the audience on critical thinking. And, and this, you know, I always say in my notes, this is not a lecture or a sermon, and it's not really a lecture or a sermon. And some of you will be like, I think critically. And I might say, you absolutely do. Okay? But let's look at it this way. When I was a, a, a young man, one of the sports that I played was baseball. And my coach would say, let's hit the ball. And I'd say, okay, let's do batting practice. And he would tell me ways to hit the ball better. And I'd say, I'm hitting the ball right. Look how far it's going. Look, I even have control. I can put that ball in left field. Give me another one, I'll put it in right field. And, and the coach, being wise enough to address a kid that's a little bit cocky, would say, that doesn't mean you can't do it better. And my job, no matter how good you are, is to make you better. Now, we can either get better by listening or by running a lapse. Yes, coach. Okay? That's kind of what this is. Even if you are thinking critically, it doesn't mean you can't think critically better. It doesn't mean you can't fine-tune this. So for those of you that are still in a slumber in the matrix, I want to pull you out. Those of you who are out, I want to kind of expand your horizons with today's show. And more than anything else, this is my belief. We learn best when we teach. Now, I don't mean teaching like those who can't do teach. I mean like we're actively doing and we are teaching the thing we're actively doing at the same time. You, you do your greatest learning as a teacher. That's why I love doing this show because by teaching every day, I'm learning every day. And that gives my life purpose. So I think some of the things I'll talk to you about today, even if you are a great critical thinker, even if you're better than me, even if you're better than me, 
it may help you to help others learn to think critically. That's another thing I learned from my coaches over the years. Even if you're better than me at something, it doesn't mean that I can't coach you to being better. You don't think Michael Jordan's coach was nowhere near as good as Michael Jordan at basketball, yet Michael Jordan had a coach, right? So that's where I'm coming at with this today. Now, I want you to also understand my biggest goal at the Survival Podcast is the restoration of individual liberty to people. That's, that's it. That's what it's always been. But in order for this to happen, the most important thing we can all develop and encourage as others is critical thinking. And what I'm asking you today on some level is where did it go? Where did our critical thinking skills as a society go? How do we lose them? Because human beings, at least in the age of enlightenment, as Alex Shrug points out, have bad basic critical thinking. And we've always had critical thinking as a species. It was critical thinking that allowed a couple kind of knucklehead cave people types, right, to look at something and go, it's heavy, logs are around, we stick a log under there, it'll move. And then do that. And every innovation, every actual innovation, not emulation, but innovation in society has come from critical thinking. We would not have ever put a rocket on the freaking moon if we didn't have the capacity innate within ourselves for critical thinking. And my grandparents exhibited a great deal of critical thinking even with the limitations they had from their understanding of the world and the universe and how far science had progressed, far more so than children today and young adults today who have access to infinite amounts of information through the Internet and yet can't use that information in their critical thinking that are completely covered up with perception bias. Where did it go? I think government has always discouraged critical thinking. I have a little video embedded in the show notes today of a cartoon, a Bugs Bunny cartoon, from the World War II era. It's showing us who the enemy was, the Japanese, and making fun of them in, in ways that are quite offensive, honestly, if you're Asian. I would be offended by this to a degree. I would also say, okay, this is from the 1940s, we were at war, I can let go, but it is offensive, really. It's demeaning. And people would say, well, it's just a cartoon for kids to laugh at. Really? You believe that? You need to work on your critical thinking. This was a message. And there were propaganda films like this one. This was just one I was able to easily find today. When you went to the movies during the war years, these were played for adults and everybody that was at the movies to, to show us how untrustworthy the evil, and you're going to be, if you get offended by this, I'm repeating what was said. The evil nips are. Okay? how distrustworthy they are, etc. And then our government goes out and creates internment camps, take American citizens of Japanese descent and put them into incarceration with no warrants and just kind of like King Louis, huh? All right? For the duration of the war. And then we just forget about all that like it never happened. And so if we had this type of propaganda being committed against people in our society in the 40s, Clearly, the war on critical thinking matches the advance of government. The government has always tried to take away critical thinking because the more a, a society is able to critically think, the more difficult they are to control. But yet, we've lost a ton of it. And I, I think it's because, first of all, we've lost even what is critical thinking and what isn't critical thinking. People say, question everything. That's critical thinking. That's really... A piece of it, but not necessarily. So we'll question everything until confirmed. And then we might occasionally sanity check it, but there's certain things we don't have to sanity check. I am an anarchist, okay? And I am part of some groups uh, online that discuss anarchistic philosophies. You don't have to be one to understand how stupid what I'm about to tell you is. Somebody recently posted about the non-aggression principle. The non-aggression principle is, I cannot use force to make you do what I want you to do, unless you are aggressing upon me. So I, I basically I am a pacifist until you attack me, and then I can use force to repel your attack, and that's it. And it's, it's a core fundamental to anarchistic philosophy and to really libertarian philosophy. In fact, the libertarian philosophy is, at its core, the non-aggression principle. 
I should not interfere with you until you interfere with me, or you try to harm somebody else who's innocent, and then I step in, I, I, and I, I prevent you from further aggressing upon them, and as long as you then go off and do whatever it is you're going to do on your own and leave everybody else alone, I stop my attack, right? Unless it's like you've killed somebody and, and there's, you're going to kill somebody else and you're dead so you don't do that again. But if it's like you're beating up a kid and I grab you and I, I smack you down like you deserve for beating up a kid and you go away, then I don't just like run down the street and start beating you to death with a baseball bat. It's done. That's the non-aggression principle. So somebody posts a question and says, isn't childbirth a violation of the non-aggression principle? You're expelling the child from the womb without the child's consent. The stupid burns sometimes, okay? So questioning everything in of itself is not critical thinking. Questioning everything that's worthy of questioning is critical thinking. And so, because what we have are people that, that get an idea of this, this critical thinking stuff, And say everything you're told can and probably, you know, could be and probably is wrong. But we've lost critical thinking. Then what we've just become is resistant to ideas and thoughts. And that's not critical thinking. Because even with the propaganda that's in the media and the news, it's all based on fact. It's how the facts are stacked and the correlations between the facts and then the extrapolations using the fact to justify a fiction. Or to sway a belief. Just because something's true doesn't mean that your belief that comes out of it should match with the person who brought you the fact says. Okay? I say, for a fact, that taxation is a theft of property. Okay? That is a fact. You, it is legalized theft of property through the use of force. There is no way that you can ever say that that's not true and be factually accurate. However, we both have our own opinions to extrapolate from that. My opinion is, therefore we should not do it. Your opinion might be, it's true, but based on my level of understanding right now, there's certain things that it's required to be able to do, like protect the nation. So it sucks, but it is what it is. And another person might say, it's theft of property, but it's acceptable because it's legal theft. Right? But any contention that it's not theft is, 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 is a, a contradiction in fact. You've taken something that's not yours against the will of the person that you've taken it from, and that person only gave it to you because they know if they don't, you will use greater force to imprison them or harm them. It, it, it's, it, it's, it's beyond simple theft. Okay, On some levels, it's legalized extortion. But just because the fact is true doesn't mean that we all will come to the same conclusion about what that means. And a critical thinker has to say, I am okay with you coming to a different conclusion. Now, if you compel me to participate in what I don't agree with, I may resist you. But I'm not going to get upset because you and I don't agree about the conclusion. But what we want to be accurate about is the facts. And that's why I think that there's a thing that's floating around out there that everybody likes to post. And you can tell when you're dealing with somebody in a debate now that's, that's seen it. The fallacy poster, the logical fallacies, ad hominem, etc., right? Okay, when, when you're telling somebody something, they say, that's an ad hominem attack, and that's their whole response. Okay, you looked at a poster, and it doesn't, and you've ignored, you've ignored all the other fallacies there Because just because somebody does point out the agenda of the presenter of the fact doesn't nullify their argument, right? I think that poster's done far more harm than good because it's become too simple to just say, it's this fallacy, it's that fallacy. There's one other, it's called the fallacy fallacy. You, you, you can't ignore that one. It says just because the person that you're arguing with has used a fallacy in their presentation doesn't mean that their contention's untrue. That poster is designed to create the concept that no matter who says what, they may or may not be wrong. And it's up to you to figure it out. Not to just tell them, oh, you committed a fallacy, go away. No. It doesn't work that way. Unfortunately, that's how it gets used. And why? Because we're in a world now without critical thinking, and everybody wants a pill for what ails you. So I don't like this contention. I don't want to hear this. I don't want this to be true. 
So I want to shut it down. What is the shortest direction that I can shut that down with? And then you know full well you haven't actually done anything. What you've done is you've made yourself at peace because you've shut it down for yourself. Now, if that's what you want to do, then just walk away from it in the first place. Because you haven't actually changed anything. So, to me, the way we engage in critical thinking is to start asking questions. And I think the first series of questions that I have for you today are the ones most often ignored. Because the majority of the information that is shoved out at you today has no relevance to your life whatsoever. It, it, and so the first question is, does this even affect me? Do I really care? Now, you might hear about something that angers you. Somebody did something that's legitimately a bad thing. But does it really affect you, and do you really care? Or do you feel a moral obligation to care? Some guy in another country punched a little child in the face. When I hear that, and it seems valid, like it really happened, I want that guy, you know, I want some kind of reprisal for that child. I really do. Because no matter what the kid did, you don't, as a grown man, take a child and punch them in the face. You just don't do that. And you deserve your ass kicked. But does that really affect you? Some guy in Jabip punched a little kid in the face. That's wrong. Okay, we all agree it's wrong. But it leads us to the next question with this. Can you influence this? Can you actually influence this? Is there anything you can do about it? If the answer is no, you kind of have to shut that progression down. Unless there's other ways you can learn from it. So if we find out that a guy punched a little kid in the face and we just get angry about it, it doesn't do us any good. But if we can analyze, like, well, what led up to this? And, and why is this guy able to punch this kid in the face? Was there any reprisal? If there wasn't, how does a society exist where this is able to happen? What can we do here to make sure that doesn't happen here? Now we're getting useful components from this occurrence. But what most people, will, all they get is anger. And you also have to ask, How is this influencing me, and am I allowing it to do so? So if I'm angry about something, but that anger leads me to a productive action, I am angry that our, our, our environment is being damaged by human activity. Now, if my action is to be mad and tell everybody how mad I am, I don't really accomplish anything. But if my reaction is, okay, What can I do in my own little world to do something positive? And then I get out and I start building a positive ecological response to my anger. Then it's productive anger. And I also have to ask myself, am I allowing this to influence me? Because if, it's, if it hasn't passed the first test, right, it doesn't really affect me, except for the fact that I'm angry. And I'm allowing it to influence me and allowing it to anger me, and I have no way that I can respond to it, then nothing productive will ever come from it. And my energy is therefore wasted. And every, every second that I spend on that could be spent analyzing or acting on positive flow information. Right? And you, you really have to understand this. This sounds like common sense, and it, it should be, but it's not very common. Because this is purposefully done to you. Because if I can make you angry about something you can't do anything about, your natural human response is what? A feeling of helplessness. I need, we gotta do something. How many of you are, we have to do something. Maybe we don't. Okay? But if I can get you feeling that way, and then someone who has superiority over you, either they have more access to force, greater resources, more money, greater influence, says, here's a solution, and you feel like we have to do something, then you buy into that solution. And if you don't buy into that solution, and an opposing force has a different solution, odds are you'll pick one of the two, and even if you don't like either one, what will you call the one you choose? The lesser of, I'll let you fill the blanks in for yourself, today's about critical thinking, okay? So, is this influencing me, and am I allowing that? Right? Is it actually physically influencing me or is it emotionally influencing me by choice? And what does this issue really mean? 
What, what is the what is the larger context of this issue? And is there some solution in that context that doesn't exist in the microcosm of this single thing that's in front of me? And does this harm me or offer me any benefit? So if it harms me, can I counter the harm? If it has the potential to harm me, can I take action so that I am more resistant to that harm? Or is there a benefit here for me, even if it's something I don't like? Is there a way that I can transcend this into a benefit? That's your first series of questions. And a lot of times you'll find some of the things that are like the most upsetting or the most concerning to you doesn't even get through that, that list of five questions. And as soon as it doesn't, you, you discard it. Assuming it does, then we have to start asking ourselves some, some other questions. Usually we're analyzing some sort of a claim, some sort of a fact, some sort of an opinion that's based on a contended fact. Okay, So we have to say first, does this claim even make sense? Does this, does this make any logical sense? I'm a grown human being. I have X amount of years of life experience behind me. I know I don't know everything And I know I don't know what I don't know. But I do know certain things. I know how I know that gravity works this way. If I drop something, it falls. Okay? So if I see something that apparently is being levitated by supposed magic, I, I probably know that it's some other explanation other than mysticism or magic. I may not be able to quite ascertain exactly how it's being done yet, but my skeptic senses should go off. Okay, and you can take that as wide or narrow as you want from there. But that's a, does this claim make sense? Does it fit with what I believe to be true? So if I believe that green is the color of grass, and you show me something that's clearly gray and tell me it's the color of grass, Clearly, we have some something malfunctioned here. But there's optical illusions that can make things appear that way, where both colors are, in fact, green. And that green that you think is gray really is the color of certain grass. Or maybe there's gray grasses, because there are actually grasses that are more gray than green. So we, we have to kind of look at this, like, does it fit with what I believe to be true? And that leads us to the next question. Am I, in fact, blinded by perception bias? What are all the reasons that I would, out of reflex, accept or reject this claim? When you find yourself going, this has got to be true, you have to say to yourself, what are all the reasons I would want that to be true? Okay? And you have to at least acknowledge that. Because a lot of times, once you acknowledge it, you'll, say, you'll still say, okay, this still makes sense. Or you'll say, I, have a, I don't agree with this. And here's all my, all my baggage, all my emotional and spiritual and political baggage that causes me to resent this or reject this idea. So at least now that I've accepted that, I can look at it with fresh eyes and say, yeah, this, this, this still appears to be wrong in spite of it. Or it still appears to be correct in spite of the fact that I want it to be. Or in spite of the fact that I don't want this to be true, it actually looks like there might be something to it. Now you're critically thinking. And then the next question is, do I fully understand the claim or am I picking things to object to or agree with? I put an article out today that basically the contention is do not build hugel swales. Okay, for those who don't know, a swale is a ditch on contour. We take the ditch out of the di uh, dirt out of the ditch and we put it on the downhill side of the, of the ditch. And a real swale is six, nine feet or bigger in, in width, foot or deeper, 18 inches in the center, and holds Tens of thousands of gallons per 200 linear feet. Okay, It holds a lot of water, and the purpose is to put the water in the ground. Hugel culture is we take wood, we put it on top of the ground, we bury it with dirt. And there's a lot of things that come from that, but I don't want to get deep into it today. But if you take a bunch of wood and put it on the ground on contour, which is a level line, and excavate the dirt out of a ditch on top of that wood, and then take many thousands of gallons of water and infiltrate it and supersaturate the soil under the wood... And then so much so that the ditch fills up, there is a good possibility that your giant earthen dam with a buoyant organic matter core will begin to flow down grade and take many metric tons of force with it and do all kinds of colossal damage. So don't do this. The immediate response to people were, well, I did this and it worked. 
Okay, I did a whole video on this. I'll put a link to it so I don't have to rehash it all. But when you say something worked, well, what do you mean it worked? Like, you did it and it didn't break? You did it and stuff grew out of it? Did it grow better, the same, or worse than had you not done it? You haven't followed any type of control or scientific methodology here. You're just making an arbitrary claim that it worked. And just because you've created a potential for a disaster that has not yet manifested itself with kinetic energy, right? We have potential in kinetic energy. We set a mouse trap or a rat trap and put the lever on it. The potential energy is stored. It's ready to go. Tripping the trap, the energy becomes kinetic. It gets delivered. That trap might sit there for 50 years if nothing touches it. It might even rust to a point where the, the, the trigger is kind of rusted up and hard to set off. Until such time as the springs literally degrade, the potential for the kinetic to be released is still there. Right? If you would read the article that I wrote, all of the objections people were giving were actually covered in the article. But what people saw was a title, and they scanned it, and they didn't like what they heard because it didn't fit what they wanted to be true, their perception bias. So they immediately picked and chose pieces, ignoring the rest of the presentation to object to. Okay, we all do this, me included. If you're actually going to take something that somebody's put out and choose to engage with that, choose to read it, choose to listen to it, choose to watch it, choose to observe it, whatever, then before you can start refuting it, you need to take in the totality of what was said so that you're not objecting to things that don't even really counter the argument. Somebody posted a picture of a rice paddy up on top of a hill in response to that article. and said, look, this has been done for tens of thousands of years. That has absolutely nothing to do with what I said. It's not a swale. It's certainly not Google culture. It's a terrace-based rice paddy system. The two aren't even compatible with each other. Now, that can be two things. The person objecting may not be intellectually capable of comprehending what you said. But that's actually not real common. Unless we're talking about like advanced theoretical physics mathematics, and there's people that, no matter how hard they try to explain it to me, I'm like, yeah, I barely made it through like high school calc, man. I, I don't understand. I might understand what you're saying on the other side of it, but the math, I, I can't. Unless you're to that, that high level, most of the time... People are more than capable of understanding what the other person is actually saying. But they're generally not capable of accepting what's being said if they feel it doesn't match with what they want to be true. So that is what blinds us with perception bias and leads us to picking and choosing the pieces that we argue against. And then we find ourselves telling the person or the, or the source of the information things that they already know to be true, and, and you're countering claims they've never made. And then you're wasting energy, and all you're doing is reinforcing a predisposed belief. So we always have to check ourselves as we begin to get to the point with an issue. We've decided that it pertains to me, that there's some benefit to us engaging in it, when we want more of it. We've decided it makes sense, or it doesn't make sense, uh, based on our understanding. We, we, we've acknowledged our bias. And now we have to say, if I actually taken in the entire argument, or if I only taken the piece that I have naturally predisposed to ex accept, Or reject. If we get through all that, then we can start asking ourselves some questions that we often ask in the beginning, and because we ask them in the beginning, they're inappropriate. But once we've gone this far, these questions become wholly appropriate. Remember, I I, I talked about the ad hominem fallacy. Okay, this is where that comes into play. If I question the source of information, anybody that's seen that poster and not grasped it will me say, it's an unhabited attack. You're attacking the source versus the idea. But once I've gotten this far, and it's completely valid to say, well, what, who benefits if I believe or discount this? What is the, what is the benefit, the, the source itself? How are they driven with agenda to present these facts this way? What do they get out of it? If, if I agree or disagree with them. And it's a perfectly valid question. You know, who is the source in relation to that, right? So it's not just who benefits or 
who, who benefits from acceptance or discount, but who's the source in relation to that? So you may find that the person bringing the information has no direct benefit, but there's still people that have benefit, and was that source influenced by those people? So, for instance, a person might be completely righteous in what they're telling you. They might fully and wholly believe it, and they might say, listen, it doesn't make no difference to me other than maybe emotional whether you agree or disagree with me. There's, I get nothing out of this. But if they were influenced by a source who's convinced them of something without them applying critical thinking, it's completely reasonable and valid to go back to that source. How are these people qualified to say this? What, what, what validity do they have in saying this? And if I accept or reject this after all of that, how will this knowledge change my life or my choices? What will I do that will remain the same because of it or differently because of it? Where will it take me in my next step down whatever path we're talking about? And if we, if we did this with every issue that came in front of us, we'd be remarkably more intelligent, better communicating individuals that would be far more productive and get a hell of a lot more shit done. It seems like it takes a lot of time, but it really doesn't because you can go through this process very, very quickly. Because what you're going to find is as long as we've gone so far today on this, if I start out with, does this, does this even affect me? Do I really care? Like eight out of ten things that come out of the mainstream right now would be, no, it doesn't buy next. So, so right there I've saved all that time. And now I can start asking, do, can I influence this? Is, is it, can I influence this? Is it influencing me? Am I allowing that influence? Is it real or is it perceived? Have I, have I chosen to emotionally respond to something that has no real impact on my life? What does this issue really mean? Does this harm me or benefit me in any way? Or is there potential harm or benefit for me in engaging with this issue further? Does the claim make sense? Does it fit with what I believe to be true? Am I, in fact, blinded by my perception bias? What is my perception bias here? Now that I know that, do I fully understand the claim or am I picking things to object or agree with? Who benefits if I believe this or discount this? Who's the source in relation to that? How will this knowledge change my life, my choices, etc.? It actually doesn't take very long. We're actually hardwired to do it just that way. I didn't read a book to get those questions. I didn't sit down, meditate, and go um, um, under a Bodhi tree to get those questions. I sat down and said, Jack, how do you analyze stuff? There it is. How would anybody analyze something if they actually wanted to understand it? This is innate human behavior. And what we need to understand as we analyze all this is just some basic things. First of all, pushed information usually has an agenda. If information is shoved into society or shoved into people's face, then it usually comes with an agenda. Or you, it wouldn't be pushed in the first place. If you don't believe that the mainstream media, through their, their, their apparatus of entertainment and news, doesn't use programming with an agenda, then you, you, you really need to start at the beginning of the show and go all the way through it all over again, because you're not critically thinking. No one with that much power is going to be immune to the concept of power corrupting and absolute power corrupting absolutely. The media of this country has, in many ways, almost an absolute power over how the majority of people think. And they can't make society as a whole think one way. But they, they easily divide society into thinking one of two ways. And in some ways, that's better. If you convince all of society of something, 100%, or even 90%, the vast majority, that something is in fact true, so long as it suits your agenda, okay, that's great. When, it, when you realize, like, okay, we lied to these people, and now they're going to be pissed. And now they're going to be pissed at us. Unfortunately, now that their belief no longer coincides with our agenda, we have to tell them the truth. You have a problem. First of all, you have to move a mass amount of public opinion to change direction. Two, you got to deal with anger and animosity, and it all comes at you because you're a liar. Three, you have to convince them, now I'm telling the truth, even though we lied to you in the past. We weren't lying, we were just wrong. And even though we were this incompetent, we're actually competent enough for us to agree with you now. See how what a big problem that is? 
You see why it would actually be undesired? This is critical thinking, analyzing the mainstream media apparatus and the government's coercion with the mainstream media apparatus. You see why that would be a problem? That would suck. Let's look at a much better way to do this. We pretty much take society, we cut it in, in half with firm believers, 40% and 40%. We have 20% in what we call a mushy middle. Okay? At any one time, that 20% is pretty evenly divided. Even though if they say they're independent, I'm talking about people that actually pay attention to you and believe your bullshit and participate in your, your made up bullshit that we call society today. Okay? That 20% splits almost 10 and 10. And then all I gotta do is move 4 or 5% one side or the other of an issue. So when I have reached a point where I have maximized, I've absolutely maximized what I can get out of a, a, a majority belief in something, and I need now to change that belief to something else so I can now advance the other shoe, I need only swing 4 or 5% of the people's opinions. I only need 4 or 5% of the people to be really upset about this. And they're going to be mad not at me, but all the people that they were in agreement with a little while ago, because they're the liars, not me. So now I can manipulate society so much easier. And that always happens with pushed information. In our society, we're very fortunate to have more what we would call pulled information than any time in history. People all over the world are collectively putting information up available to be pulled at by will. My podcast is not pushed information. It's pulled. It is not ingrained into anything that's used by happenstance. There's a TV in almost every home in America. There's multiple TVs in almost every home in America. Most homes in America today, including project homes of people on welfare, have a TV in the living room and every bedroom that's occupied by anyone over the age of five. If it's on TV and part of the, the six major networks that control 95% of what's on that TV, you can call it pushed information. There's nothing that you need to do to go out and seek it. Sooner or later, somebody is going to happen upon it. And it's going to have a, a perceived credibility just because it's inside that box. And just because it comes from an apparatus that's told you you can trust us. That's been around long enough to have earned the trust of the majority of people who have abdicated their critical thinking to others. Okay, A podcast, on the other hand, you have to say, you know what, I am interested in self-sufficiency, survival, stuff like that, and go looking for it. And then when you find it, you have to actually take steps to listen to it. And since I, when you first hear my show, you have no concerns about who I am. I am not a scientist. I am not uh, a network executive. I am not a politician. I have no credentials as far as you're concerned. You have to have enough come out of me that jives with you to choose to keep listening. And therefore, you pull the information. And if you ever get to a point where you feel like, this doesn't do anything for me anymore, you go elsewhere. But... It's important to understand that pulled information may also have an agenda, but it also has value. And what I mean by that is the majority of people putting out information, including me, have an agenda. Including the people that have a show called No Agenda. Of course, they have an agenda. Everybody has an agenda. When I get up in the morning, the first agenda I have is to find socks. I need socks for my feet. That's my agenda. When I do this show, I absolutely have an agenda. My agenda on this show is to create individual freedom and liberty for the people that want it. That's my agenda. And it, the, the difference is, I'll tell you my agenda. Honestly. Up front. And I will not deny that I have one. Well, your agenda is to make people think the way you do. Absolutely not. My agenda is not to tell people what to think. My agenda is to tell people how to think. And it's, it's claimed in our education system that that's what they're doing, but that's absolutely not what they're doing because you have to be very comfortable in yourself and your ideas to empower the person you're teaching with how versus what. Because when you empower them with how, They can turn around and say, thank you for that power. Now I will use it counter to what you want. Now I will use it against you. Now I will use it to disprove you. That's real teaching. 
So we have to accept every bit of information put out by every being has an agenda. Or it wouldn't be worth doing. Like, it wouldn't be worth me getting up every day and doing this show just because it makes me money as a business. There's a whole lot of other ways I could make money if that was my only goal. And in some ways it would be easier to make money other ways. You know, I'm not making the most money I've ever made in my life right now. I do fine. But I could make more money holding a desk down for a company somewhere. Just with my pedigree and my background from doing it before. I don't know if I could now. I certainly could have eight years ago. I was doing it. So... I have to have a reason to do this beyond I just want an income. And most people do. Now, if your job is, I don't know, stocking shelves, then your agenda probably is to make sure I get my paycheck at the end of the week. But as soon as you start to do something beyond the minimum, you have to have an agenda or you wouldn't do it. This is more critical thinking. So that means we have to look at all information that comes from every source, no matter who it is. I don't care if it's a, it's a priest and a rabbi and an imam that all agree. You still have to look at it as though it has an agenda, okay? Because it, it does. That doesn't de that does not de deny its value. It's up to you to figure out what you need and take what you need, like Jeet Kune Do, and, and assemble it from multiple sources in a way that fits your agenda for your life. Boy, we better not teach people this shit, guys, huh? What kind? How do you how do you govern a society if 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 children were taught this from the time they're five years old? I you know what? Here's what I'd like to do. I'd like to find out. I would like all of you to help me teach children to think this way. I, I would. I'd like you to teach your children and your grandchildren to think like this, and your 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 fellow contemporary to think like this. I'd like you to have discussions like this. Not even about the issues. Screw the issues until you get the method right. Right? See, when you learn martial arts, for instance, we focus on technique. Well, what if somebody attacks me with a knife? Sit down. Sit down, listen, and learn. Technique. How to breathe. How to move. How to strike. How to counter. Don't worry about the knife. First, learn the technique. Learn the technique until your body responds to the technique as your mind thinks it almost simultaneously. I don't even have to think anymore. It just happens like walking. Now we introduce the knife. Now we use the misdirection. Now we turn the force back on the attacker. But until we get that right, we can't introduce the knife. We can't even introduce a strike from an opponent. We have to get the technique, the how to move how to respond, how to control, how to think first. We have to do that first. If you're going to teach people critical thinking, you have to teach them. See, the issues during this type of discussion are only to be used as metaphors. And it's best to use an issue the person has no attachment to. If you can find one, if you want to actually pull, pull an issue apart, get an issue the person could give a damn left or right about. And say, for the sake of discussion, we're going to pretend that you do. It passed the first questions. Now let's pull it apart. Because then they don't have the perception bias dragging it one way or the other. But the key in all of this is mostly deciding what our questions are versus being provided answers. Have you ever noticed that all of this pushed information, all of the stuff that's heaped on you, from school to the media to news to the radio, everything, it's never... Tell me what you want to know, and I will help you find an answer. It's always, here's the answer to the question that you didn't ask, and you better listen, it's important because I said so. If you want to change this nation, if you want to change our world for the better, then you have to get people to start saying, you know what? I'll determine for myself what my questions are. That will drive my quest for answers, and that will ensure that all the work that goes into doing that takes me toward my personal agenda. That sounds very selfish. No, it sounds actually very liberating. It sounds very liberating to me. You, again, you have to be comfortable with yourself. Because that means that the person that you don't want 
to go counter to you may and may actually be effective with that. We call that freedom. We call that freedom. So two people that you teach to do this, for instance, may both result at some point in their life in deciding, do I or do I not wish to engage in a behavior such as trying marijuana? And two people may use the same exact process and become complete different choices as to how they apply that. And you have to be okay with that, assuming they're adults. That they will make the right choice for them. And then they will use the feedback from that experience to make the next choice and the next decision. And as long as they're not hurting anybody else, you have to let it go. And that's here's the key. This is how society works anyway. All of this concept that we're actually controlling people is all bullshit. All we're doing is we're controlling just enough of them to make them behave in a non-human way. But in the end, people are still making their own decisions and choices every day. People violate the law every day. People break the rules every day. But we, 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 we want a nice covering that hides that and a belief that there's always justice when people break the rules. Well, many times when the state gets involved, the justice is far from just. And most of the time, nothing happens to people that break the rules. And that scares the shit out of the people in charge. I mean, if people ever realized... How many people break rules every day, break laws every day, and never suffer any consequences, and never harm anybody in that? And everybody said, hey, you know what? I think I'll do that too. And people started doing it openly in mass numbers. They can't stop it. There has to be a facade. There has to be the holographic chains of slavery have to be draped around the neck of the people And the people have to choose to believe in those chains. And to not only believe in their own chain, but believe the chain on their neighbor is necessary. I have to wear my chain. Because even though I could be okay without it, all these other people wouldn't. And they would hurt me and take what I have. This is how you control a society. And we can not have liberty until we learn how to think our way out of those chains. And here's the thing I want to finish with. Kids love this. You don't have to teach children to do this. You just have to stop suppressing their innate desire to do this. Because what happens every, every single time you tell a kid, four, five, six years old, that something's a certain way or has to be a certain way, we're going to go do this, we're going to do that. What's the first word out of their mouth? Why? You know what? That little kid has more critical thinking than the average adult in America today. Why? Because you know what why means when I'm a four-year-old? What it usually means is, tell me more about this. This is interesting to me. I want to understand this. Does this apply to me? Huh. Interesting, isn't it? This is our natural state of hum as human beings. This is enlightenment. We, we, Alex says we are now living in the late age of enlightenment. I feel that we're living in an age of enlightenment with a constant attempt for someone to dim the lights. And it's up to us to stand up and say, you, you can dim all the lights you want, but not mine. I will not participate in this illusion that what happens to me is outside of my control. If I could give people one thing, it would be the ability to think this way. If I could put it in a pill, and then you took it and you had it, That's what I would do. If I was granted one wish by a mystical genie, I want people to be able to think this way. And I would, I would ask for no control over the conclusions that they draw. Because I would trust in the total wisdom of millions of people actually using their minds to the highest potential. Because I believe with that potential, most of the things that we see dividing us today would fall away into shadows. And it, w it wouldn't be like, you know, it wouldn't be some kind of nirvana. It wouldn't be some kind of utopia. All problems wouldn't wash away into nothingness. But we would make a hell of a lot more progress in the right direction. And we would have a hell of a lot less animosity at our fellow man. And we'd start to take a lot of things that we accept as necessary evils and say, are they really necessary? Are they really Is it really necessary for a king to have a prostitute's nose and ears cut off 
if she's with a soldier five miles from the palace? Or is there another way to solve this problem? We might start asking those questions. And we might realize that as horrific as that sounds, and we look back at the 1600s and we say to ourselves, gee, I'm glad we're not like those people, that in some ways many of the things we do today are just as bad, especially for the time we live in. For the time we live in. Those things, you know, they're not going to happen in America today. You're not going to cut somebody's ears off no matter what they do and get away with it in society today. The fact that that could be gotten away with says what level of understanding humanity had at that time, that such a thing was permitted to be done by anybody, including a king, the state. What are we doing today that future generations will look back at us and just be disgusted with us for doing? Doesn't it, doesn't it become incumbent upon us to ask that question today? And to start answering it for ourselves, at least future generations have to take on the burden of solving those problems. And I'm going to leave you today with a song uh, by a group called Five for Fighting. And it's one of those songs that is kind of a really a feel-good song. And maybe for some of you that are you know, kind of more of the hardcore rock and roll type or metal or whatever, not your typical thing, and maybe almost feels a little euphorical, a little utopic. But I actually think that it's a legitimate question. What kind of world do you want? And if we take that with an understanding that we get from an individual author like Richard Bach in his book Illusions, with an understanding that each of us, in fact, does live in our own world, does create our own world, billions of people and billions of worlds, And that while I can't change your world unless you voluntarily choose to engage with mine, I can change my world. And it is the greatest opportunity I am afforded as a free-thinking individual to alter my own world. And to not do so is to squander that opportunity. With that, this has been Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast, helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough, or even if they don't. A time machine, a magic wand, a globe made out of gold. No instructions or commandments. Laws of gravity or indecisions to uphold. Printed the box I see Acme's build a world to be Take a chance Grab a piece Help me to believe it What kind of world do you want? Think anything Let's start at the start Build a masterpiece Be careful what you wish for History starts now Should there be people or people Money, funny pedestals For fools who never pay Raise your army, choose your steeple The satellites can look the other way Lose the earthquakes, keep the balls Fill the oceans without the salt Let every man own his own hands Can you dig it, baby? What kind of world do you want? Think anything Let's start at the start Build a master What kind of world do you
Start now.